Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rip. I wanted to take a minute here before we move into the rest of our service to uh, introduce Sasha and Olga Skrypak and their children. And uh, they will be with us. Yes, they will be with us on Tuesday. And uh, they're enjoying some time away from uh, lots of different things. <laughs> um, and they're here visiting, and they're staying at my sister's uh, cabin on Lake Charlevoix here. And so they've been here for the holiday weekend, and they're going to be here for the next couple of days and be with us on Tuesday night. So please invite your friends, and let's just fill this place up to hear the story, the reality of life that Sasha and Olga and this family have gone through. You know, we don't, we can't comprehend problems. I mean, we think we have problems. And yes, maybe we do have some problems. But we can't comprehend losing our home to war. We can't comprehend running for our lives. And the people in Ukraine are. The people in Israel are. You know, and we don't want to forget people that are in that kind of turmoil and that kind of uh, persecution. So I'm excited to hear what you have to talk to us about on Tuesday, Sasha and Olga. And I want to know that I want you to know we're praying for you. In fact, I, I think we should right now. Can we just pray for this family right now? I just think that we need to do this. So stand up where you are if you'd like to. If you want to come around here, this family, and let's just take the few minutes and let's just pray that God's favor upon um, their families that are there in Ukraine yet and the families that are there and um, just protection and guidance for your will, for your life, because I know you have lots of decisions ahead on what you do now. Do you go back? Do you not go back? There's just so many things. So let's just do our part, okay? Let's just bombard heaven here for a minute here. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we lift up our brothers and our sisters. God, we don't hardly know them, but Lord, you know them. They are in the palm of your hand, and you have a plan for their life. God, you have a desire for them. And Father, I know that they've gone through things that we can't comprehend or even um, come close to it. But God, we lift them up. We lift Olga and Sasha and their children to you and their extended family and all their friends that are still there. God, the bombing and the warfare that's taking place in that country. God, we just come against it in the name of Jesus. We stand for righteousness. We stand for truth. And Lord, we know that this is just the beginning of what is yet to happen in the end times that we're just now coming into. But God, that doesn't mean we don't pray for people. We pray for salvation. We pray for restoration. We pray for redemption. We pray for peace and safety. We pray, Father, that people would be protected from the enemy's attack, God, whether it be from the hand of Putin or for the hand of Satan. It doesn't make any difference, Father. When people are being, when they're being, lives are being shattered, Father, we stand with them and for them. And we pray for peace. God, we pray for favor. God, we pray for health and protection. And God, I pray that you would just be with their ministry. God, that through this, many would come to know Christ in the Ukraine. God, this is not just about a homeland. This is not just about having happiness and provision and all the things that we have. And we enjoy those things. But it's about building the kingdom of God, which we're all doing here right now in Jesus' name. And so I pray your protection. I pray, God, your will be done in their lives at all ways, in all fashions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this morning, um, I want to continue in our study on the book of Philippians. And um, I want to title the message today, The God's Plans Always Succeed. God's Plans Always Succeed. Um, and we've been talking about how 
we live in an idealistic world sometimes, and sometimes our sermons and our and our messages from the pulpit can be very idealistic in nature. Um, but you know what? There are some things that we like idealism with. Um, I think we like it when we want joy and purpose in life. And when things even are going the ways we think they should, our idealistic mindset is good when we think God's going to take care of our problems, right? I mean, it's okay. We're idealistic in that nature that our problems are going to go away and God's going to take care of us. But that's not realistic, is it? In all situations. Because we know that we're going to have problems. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't take care of us in our problems, but it's idealistic to think that we can go through life without problems. Because John says in John chapter 16 verse 33, he says, I have told you these things. What, what things? That you're going to have problems. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, our idealistic mindset would say, I don't want problems. But the reality is, we're going to have problems. So, how do we deal with that? How do we go through life when things just don't go our way? And I know that we know what, the, I know, we all know what we're talking about here. When we have a plan, we think God should be working a plan for us in a certain way, and God doesn't work it out that way, and sometimes it leaves us wondering what we miss. What did we miss? Did I miss God? Did I did I miss something here? Did I make God angry with me? What's wrong? How come I'm not experiencing the joy and all the excitement of life that I think I should have? And sometimes in that, we can even get to the point where we lose our purpose. And if we lose our purpose, we lose our hope. Sometimes we get to the point where we feel that the enemy has more access to our life than God does. Sometimes we get so dark and it gets so dreary and it's so hopeless that all we feel is the presence of the enemy where we stop feeling the presence of God. Have you ever been there? Yeah, sometimes that happens. But I think that the major element of our understanding needs to be that our purpose in life is knowing that God has a plan for us. God has a plan for me. He's a plan for my life. No matter what the circumstances are. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the circumstances that we forget the fact that God has a plan. And if we, if we can if we can maintain that idea, that knowledge that God has a plan in my life, if that can be my go-to thought when I'm struggling with the, in the pit of life, then we can understand that God has more for us, even though life isn't going the way it should be. Now, we have to also understand that Satan has a plan for your life. If God has a plan for your life, know that the enemy of your life also has a plan for you, but it's totally opposite that of God's. And Paul understood that as well. And we're going to understand as we go through this lesson today, we're going to see how Paul deals with the plans that God has for him, the plans that Satan has for him, and how God conquers that and how Paul realizes that God has a bigger plan. You know, I think it's interesting that Peter, also one of the writers of the New Testament, he understood that one of the main sources of the problems of people's lives come from the fact that we have too much 
pride in our life. And that we think that we can run life our way and do things our way. In fact, pride is a limiting factor in God's ability to protect us from the onslaught of what the enemy would bring to our life. Now, if you recall from last week's message, we, we referenced James saying that the only way that we can have ability to conquer Satan is when we submit unto God. Submission to God first means that we come under God's authority, God's protection, and then when we come under his submission, when we submit under God, then we can have authority over the enemy, and only then can we have authority over the enemy, because if I'm doing it in my way, if I'm doing it through the pride of my life, the enemy looks at me and he laughs at me. I bring no threat to the enemy of my own ability, because he conquers me in a heartbeat. There's no battle between me and Satan. The, the battle is won when I have Christ in my life and when I submit to him. And Peter says it this way in his book, First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 9. He says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he, God, will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Satan has a plan. His plan is to devour. We've been talking about the fact that we can expect to have troubles in this life. And sometimes we cause the problems in our life through our pride, through our poor choices. The problems are caused by us. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes we are caught in the circumstances of life. And I, and I will just say that as I go through this message today, I feel very unqualified to really speak this message because I don't really understand problems when I'm speaking in front of Sasha and Olga and their family. <laughs> I mean, they understand problems. They understand what it is to go through life, things that are totally out of their control, of innocent people to be invaded and to have their homes taken from them and the soldiers walk through and, and just do unthinkable things. I just pray that the Lord can use the American American pastor to speak a message that we really don't know what we're speaking of. But I pray that God's truth comes through in this because it's not how, it's really not the problem or the source of the problem. It's how do we deal with the problem when it comes. You see, we can either choose to handle the problem on our own. That would be in our prideful way. That's probably where the problem came from in the first place, through our pride and our choices. Or we can submit under God's authority in our life and allow his authority, his power, to help us walk through the issues of life and not necessarily taking us out of the problem, but allowing us to go through the problem in a way that is pleasing to him and shows glory to God. Does that make sense? So can I suggest here that the sooner we make the choice to surrender and submit to God's plan and authority in our life, the sooner we do that, the sooner that I submit to God, the sooner that we give him the opportunity to work out everything according to his plan for our life. Think, let that settle in for a minute. No matter where the problem comes from, no matter if it's caused by my own prideful ego 
or from things that didn't aren't my fault. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's other things. But it doesn't make any difference. The sooner that I submit to God and his authority, the sooner I give him the authority to work out the problems for his for my good. That's what the Bible says as well. So we can not only just survive in life, but we actually can overturn Satan's plans for us so that we can thrive in life. In spite of everything, in spite of whatever is that's happening around us, we can we can thrive in God's kingdom. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that idealistic? Does that sound idealistic, the fact that we can thrive in the midst of our problems? It might sound idealistic to you, but according to Paul, he understood it. He got it. He understands that having the perspective of life is that we can adopt Paul's philosophy and we can overcome the problems of life the way he did. Paul had lots of problems. I hope he recognized that. Paul had lots of problems. And if it's only as we're interested in overcoming problems the way Paul did can we thrive in the midst of our situation. Let's read our text today. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 through 15. This is how Paul thrived in his situations. He said, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Wow, what a, what a perspective. What a way to look at life's problems when you can say that my problems are advancing the kingdom. You know, we need to recognize who is Paul here? What's Paul's situation? A very unique thing about Paul was that he was born a natural Roman citizen and a Jew at the same time. So he had Roman citizenship as well as being a Jew. And that makes him special in some cases here. And because that he was such a adamant and powerful young man, um, he was one of the Jewish leaders up and coming to be probably one of the highest and, and, and best Pharisees of, of the Jewish leadership. But we all know what happened to Paul, right? We all know what happened on the road to Damascus. And Jesus appeared to him directly and, and changed Paul's life immediately, instantly. He changed his life. And then when Paul began to preach the gospel message, he grew in such popularity amongst the Jewish people that the Pharisees began to hate him. And they began to fear Paul. And so they had a strategy how they were going to take Paul down because Paul was upsetting their whole power base. Paul was upsetting the whole Jewish uh, religion, philosophy, and he was really um, intimidating and making a big problem with the Jewish leadership. And so it's quite a long story here how Paul was put in house arrest in Rome, but it wasn't because Paul was a criminal. Paul didn't commit a crime that he's in prison for. It was all about Paul wanting his case to be heard in front of a Roman court that he was taken to Rome because he was a Roman citizen. And so he he prevailed to have his case taken to the higher court. And that's why he was taken to Rome and put under house arrest in Rome. But it wasn't because he was a common criminal. 
And you, if you want to read about that, you can read about how this happened in the in the in this twenty one the twenty first chapter of Acts, and then follow those few chapters, and you can read how Paul ended up got how he was ended up in in Rome in the first place. But for time's sake, we don't want to. I don't have time to go into that. We just have to recognize that Paul was in house arrest for two years. In Rome at this time, he was put in house arrest for two years. And while he was arrested, while he was chained to a guard 24-7, he made his time good. He wrote the book of Philippians. These are called the prison epistles. The uh, books to Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And he was busy. He was, he, he took, he used his time here wisely as he was changed the guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He didn't take an attitude of what was me. He didn't pout and whine over it, but he was wise in how he used his time. And he didn't let his circumstances distract him from the call of God in his life. And that call of God is very important. We'll come back to the minute. But he was wise, and he became very productive in the kingdom, even when things weren't going well for him. You see, I find it very interesting about Paul's life in that he could grasp the bigger plan of God over the details of life. Think about that for a minute with me. That he could grasp the bigger plan of God in his life over the details of life. You see, under, Paul understood the call of God. Remember, Paul, Paul was called by Jesus himself, right? I mean, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to Paul as a blinding light. And no other conversion in biblical history could have Paul's testimony that Jesus appeared to him that way. And he called him by name and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then his name became Paul, but, but Jesus appeared to him. So Paul had a very drastic and very um, significant call in his life for that. And because of that, Paul could have taken a much different attitude when he was being persecuted in prison. He could have said, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm special. You called me special, so why am I having to go through these problems when you called me to be an apostle, when you called me to be who you want me to be? Why am I going through problems like this? Do you know what that means? You know, have you ever, have you ever felt like that? That we can feel that we deserve better in life than what we have? That we can feel entitled? that we shouldn't have to go through these problems because I'm an American, because I'm saved, because I'm Ukrainian. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. We all can come to that point in time where we feel like God deserves more. We deserve better from that. And so we often find ourselves developing a woe is me attitude and we can, we, we, we mail out our invitations to our pity party in advance, anticipating how bad life is going to be, anticipating how hard it's going to get. Nothing good ever happens to me. Nothing good. Always good happens to somebody else. I, nothing, nothing good happens for me. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence, and, and we know that, it, and, and it goes on and on. But what's important for us to recognize is this. Paul's success didn't come from his lack of problems, but rather his successes came in the midst of his problems. Paul's success did not come from his lack of problems, 
but rather his successes came because or in the midst of his problems. Boy, that's big, guys. We need to recognize that. We need to, we need to let that sink in. Typically, people lose faith in God when problems come. They feel God isn't keeping his end of the bargain. But Paul's faith increased as a result of the problems of his life. You see, Paul learned how to be content in all things. And he learned how to be productive in the middle of the worst problems of his life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Paul says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So the secret to living life above the problems of life is learning how to be content in every situation. And I hope that we can learn how that we can follow Paul's example in these temporary problems that we have because the problems that we have are temporary. No matter what they are, they're temporary because we don't, we are not citizens of this world. Yes, we live in this world, but this is not our end. This is not our home. Our, our, our home is eternity, is in heaven. But there's something significant, something amazing happens, however, when people can go through the worst things of life and still have a, a heart for the Lord. When they can go through the worst times of life and they can still have joy in their heart. And I know that we have heard the testimonies of people that have gone through great stress, great turmoil in life, but kept a positive attitude. And not just a positive attitude, but kept a, a mindset that God has a plan in all of this. And through this, God is going to make me better and bigger through this than when I'm going through it naturally. You know, you've heard of people in cancer treatments. You've heard of people in really dire situations that have been able to keep a good, positive uh, approach and that people look at them in in similar situations, maybe sitting in a dialysis machine, sitting next to them and says, how do you have such a good attitude? Uh, How can you go through this? And it just opens the door for a person to say, well, because my hope isn't just built on this life. My hope is in Christ. And my hope is in Jesus. And he gives me my ability to live through the real problems of life. And when we can have that true love and the true truth that go together, and we can see what Jesus has done in their life through a faith, a faith that takes them a bigger place. This is a supernatural faith and a supernatural strength that only the presence of the Holy Spirit can bring. And that's what Paul had. That's the experience that Paul had, and that's the same experiences that we can have. Philippians 1.13, it says, As a result, it has been clear, become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am, I am in chains for the gospel. I am in chains. So it became obvious to the, to the um, guards around him that Paul's Faith was so strong that no matter what was happening to him at the time, the palace guards knew there was something different about Paul. So Paul's influence and his ability to share the love of God was amplified because of the circumstances that he faced, not because he wasn't facing them. Because he was facing such problems, God was able to multiply Paul's 
peace and Paul's problem or, or Paul's ability to uh, rise above the problems because Paul had the right attitude about it. Paul could have been very, very resentful. He could have been very bitter. He could have had a really bad attitude about this, and that would not have impacted the guards in any way, shape, or form in a positive way. It would have just said, well, there's another common criminal, and he deserves what he gets. But because Paul has such a positive attitude, we can see that he was being willing to be used by God in this situation, even though he didn't want to be in it. How many of us want to be in bad situations? How many of us want to be in the struggles of life? We don't want to, but we can clearly have the ability to rise above them if we maintain our right attitude about it. And just, I want you to, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper here in the, in the life of Paul um, here, because I want to read, this was not the only time that Paul was in prison. And I want to read about the time that Paul and Silas were in prison, um, as recorded in Acts chapter 16. Because when we see what happened here, as I read this account of them, I hope that we can, it puts a different perspective on the problems that we have and how we can deal with these problems. So Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 22, Luke writes, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Stop a second. Come on. How many of us have been stripped and beaten with wooden rods? No, none of us have. Okay. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were crying and whining and pouting. Did I read that right? Oh, I didn't. Let me go back and read the, let me read the Bible. The Bible says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Can you imagine what this prison, what was going on here? Paul and Silas had been beaten. They were locked into the inner dungeon, the, the, the pit of the pit, and they were praising and singing hymns to God. Now listen, we had worship this morning. Was it hard for you to sing this morning? Was it hard for us to sing and worship this morning? Well, be honest. Yes, some, for some of us it was. Wow. Why? Why was? Why would it be hard for us to sing and praise us when we're not stocked and locked to a, a chain? Uh, it's just, I, I, just, just a, a mindset here we got to get, guys. So Paul said, then he brought them out and asked, sirs, this jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. There's a lot of things going on here. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced 
because they all believed in God. What a mighty testimony. And that happened. Why? Did it happen because Paul and Silas were beaten? Was it happened because they were thrown in jail? Or did it happen because they were rejoicing in the midst of their problems? Did it happen because they were singing hymns to God in the midst of their issues? This shows us that God can use every issue in our life and make it bearable and make it productive. Plans, God's plans always succeed. It doesn't make any difference what his life has taken me to, where I'm used, where I'm at in it. God can use every issue and he can make it productive and he will make his plans succeed if I'm willing to praise and worship in the midst of it all. If I have a good attitude in the midst of it all, God can take it. You see, Paul could have been thinking, God, you're wasting my time being locked up in Rome. You're wasting my time. I thought you wanted me here to build churches. I thought you wanted me to win souls. And here you have me locked up in this prison chained to these godless men. Don't you want, don't you see God? Don't you understand God? Where are you that you're, that you're wasting my time? You know, it reminded me last, yesterday watching football games. In fact, they were watching with Dean. Sometimes we can see very obvious things from the TV that, that it doesn't appear the coaches see. <laughs> As Dean would say, why aren't they blitzing more often? Right? We can see things maybe from our perspective that maybe, and we're thinking, and we can say the same things about God. God, don't you see it the way I see it? God, don't you understand the situation? Why aren't you listening to me, God? I'm telling you I have a better idea. And God looks at us and says, who are you again? What's your name? (laughs) Who created who? You know, and so I think we, you know, we need to recognize how we need to let the things that God brings us into and us recognize who we are in them, like Paul did. And rather than get pouty and weepy about things, we can rejoice in things and we can be like Paul did and we can preach to the guards and we can take the time to write to the churches as Paul wrote. He didn't need an explanation from God as to why he was there. See, he had a great capacity to, to have faith that God had a bigger plan than what he could see. And Paul was okay with that. My question for myself is why am I not okay with that? Why am I then con- wanting to um, ask God who got, who you are, God? Why, why are you allowing these things to happen to me? But we need to recognize that God doesn't need to give us an explanation of what he's doing. God does not need to give us an explanation of what's going on in my life. I need to remember who I am and who he is. I don't deserve that. So why do I act like it? I need to understand that God is sovereign and I need to trust him. He is the creator and everything that he creates bows down to him. And if I can have that attitude, that could be the beginning of a change of my heart. That's what Paul lived by. Paul learned to live by faith in something bigger than what he could see or feel. Amen? Because if one was measuring Paul's life by what they could see, Paul wasn't doing very well. 
Paul was in prison way too often. He was being shipwrecked way too often. He was being beaten way too often. If we measure life by the way we measure things, many times we're failures in the way we measure things. But Paul wasn't measuring things that way. God doesn't measure the things the way we measure things. See, when I live by faith, and when you live by faith, we live independent of our circumstances. When we live by faith, we live, in, we live independent of our circumstances. Let me ask you, is that too idealistic? Is that an ideal, idealistic mindset to think that when I live by faith, my circumstances don't impact me? Whether my, my circumstances are good or bad, it's my faith in God's provision and his protection that will help me rise above and not just rise above, but stay above every circumstance I find myself in. I don't have to go through the roller coaster of the good days, bad days. Is that idealistic or realistic? I know we, these are some idealistic things we talk about. But this, in fact, is where the joy of the Lord comes from. Because when I'm practicing, if I can practice my faith and put my faith into action, believing that God has a better plan for me than the plan that I can figure out on my own, when I can do that, that's where joy comes in. Because now my faith rests on who God is, not my circumstances around me, not the, how much money I have in the bank, not how my, what my health and strength is, none of that. It's all about putting my faith in the fact that God has a plan, and I want to submit to God's plan for my life. And if I can do that, I'll have joy. Now, I said something a minute ago that was kind of interesting. When you live by faith, you live independent of circumstances. That's pretty big. But do you know that our circumstances sometimes can become so good that people lose faith in God? Sometimes we always want to talk about the bad circumstances in life. But, you know, sometimes our circumstances can become so good that we lose faith in God. Maybe it's happened in your life, maybe not. I know I've fought it a few times in my life. But things can, get, can go so well that we forget where our provision comes from. Things things can become so good, so easy for me. It's like I deserve that promotion because I'm really good at my job. I mean, I, I deserve success because I'm a good salesman. And, and, in fact, the reason my company is so successful is because I'm such a good salesman. You know, I mean, I can go down that mindset. I'm such a good homemaker, and I do such a good job with my kids and giving, giving them good food that my kids aren't sick because of me. You know, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good at what we do. No, we should we should strive to do good at everything we do, but we don't but we can't take it too far to the point that it becomes about us. That we become that we begin to think too highly of ourselves. So living above um living above our circumstances can be because I'm taking it in a good sense as much as sometimes from a bad sense. So we have to be careful that we don't think too highly of ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul, uh, Paul says to the Romans, for by the, grace God, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given to you or distributed to each of you. 
So be, be realistic here in this idealistic mindset of who you really are. C.S. Lewis, I love the way he defines things. C.S. Lewis says, he defines things this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I love the way he sees things. Humility isn't, it's not a self-abased, um, false humility. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And I think that's a, a really good thing that we should live by, that we need to recognize that, that God is the provider of every good thing. And when, and when we start taking credit for that, we can run the risk of taking, um, losing our faith or our need for God. Does that make sense? Do you, do you recognize what that point is too? Because that's important that we know that no matter if circumstances in, in life are good or bad, we have to keep our focus on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, and we need to make sure that we keep him as our focal point. So let's continue in our text. Philippians chapter 1, then verse 15 through 18. Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Do you see the difference here? Some preach Christ because they truly know the truth that Paul has been teaching, and they're preaching Christ to help Paul, to help spread the gospel. Others see it as a way to further their own agenda. See it, others see it as a way to spread their own false gospel, if you will, to build them up, kind of like the Pharisees were. But Paul says, but what does it matter, in verse 18? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. You see, I think one of the major signs of spiritual maturity in a person is when they're more concerned with God's plan than their own ideas and agendas. Boy, think about this a little bit. Because we can get so wrapped up thinking that it's all about us that we lose the focus. And so a mark of a maturity is a, per- is a person that's more concerned with God's plan, that God gets the credit, God gets the glory, no matter what happens. It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's not about anything I've been doing. And Paul is a great example here because Paul could have been very defensive and controlling. He's, he could have thought, if these men that are preaching the gospel don't have my credentials, then they don't have the right to be preaching this. He could have been very defensive about this. But yet he didn't. He took the approach of, I don't really care where where it comes from. If Jesus is being preached, that's all that matters. Because otherwise, Paul would have been falling into the same trap the Pharisees were in. Because the difference between Paul and the Pharisees was Paul was constantly defending the truth of the gospel. That's what he did. He defended the truth of the gospel. The Pharisees weren't defending the truth of God at all, but what they were defending was their own power base and their own ruling positions over people. Right? Paul, on the other hand, cared nothing about his position or authority in people. All he cared about was the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ would be preached and that people would be lives would be changed for it. He didn't care where it came from. That's the mark of a true mature person. He said, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Man, I love that. And you know something? And I'm going to be really real here for a minute. This is something that churches struggle with. There, whether we know it or not, and I didn't realize it necessarily until I became a pastor a few years ago, but there's a lot of competition amongst churches that isn't right. 
There's a lot of competition among pastors that isn't right. And so I ask you to pray for me that I don't fall trapped to that, that I can embrace other churches that are preaching the gospel message and come around with them and lock arms with them. Now, if they're not preaching the gospel of the truth, then I need to stand against them. I don't lock arms with every pastor, every every church, uh, just because they have a church on their on the front of their door. Doesn't If they're not preaching the gospel, then I'm not locking arms with them. But if they are, I need to. Amen? So I want to circle back as we begin to close today. I want to circle back to the beginning of the message. How do I acquire and maintain joy and purpose in my life when things aren't going the way I think they should? That's a big question, isn't it? The, the question is, how can I see the bigger picture that God has for me? I think that's so important of a question because sometimes I see only what I can see. In fact, that's all I can see is what I can see unless I have faith. This is how I learn to trust God and that when I can learn to trust him in this way, I can be joyful no matter what the circumstances of my life are because of faith. Because of faith. What type of faith am I talking about? The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Let me read that again, because this is real important. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that we hope of, of what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. This is the kind of faith that not only focuses on what we want, but it, but we're willing to wait patiently for it. Because this is a supernatural faith that only God can give. It's not the kind of faith that says, I really want a pink Cadillac, so I'm going to wait for it. No, it's the, it's the faith that says, I want what God wants for my life, and I'm willing to wait for it no matter what. This is the kind of faith that brings peace in a time of trouble. This is that confident assurance that God has everything under control and all I have to do is be faithful and wait on Him. Is that easy to do? No, it's not easy to do. But it's possible. And we can learn from Paul and follow his example by asking God to be so much more than what we think God is. That we ask, we give God the ability, we give God the power in our life to be so much bigger than who we are. When I can allow God to be God and me to be me, then I can have joy and I can have peace in the midst of all situations. I want to encourage us today, as Paul did in the Philippians in the fourth chapter of this book that we're studying, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and 9. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is so important here is that he didn't go from verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and God's going to answer all your prayers the way you want him to answer it. That's not what he said. That would make God a genie in the bottle. 
And God is not our genie. We don't rub the bottle and God just appears and says, okay, now what are your three wishes, Mike? That's not the point. What he says in verse 7 is the most important thing. And he says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What? Why, why is that so important? Because God doesn't always answer the questions the way I want to answer them. God doesn't always answer the prayers according to my plan. But that's not the point. The point is his peace transcends all understanding. It's his peace that I'm after. It's his peace and comfort and joy in the midst of my problems. Now listen, someday we're going to be above all these problems. Someday we're going to be raptured out of here. We're going home and we're going to see Jesus face to face. And at that time we'll bow down before him and all of our problems will go away. But until that time comes, don't pray for your answers always to be the way you think they should be. Pray for the peace of God which transcends all understanding and that will guard your hearts and minds and that will give you joy in the midst of the problems. That's what Paul had and that's what I hope we got out of this message today because we can claim the promise of God is his peace and his assurance and that confident faith joy is not dependent upon your circumstances joy is not dependent upon where you're, what you're going home to today joy is based upon Christ Joy is based upon who he is in your life and who you're allowing him to be in your life. And I don't say this in any way, shape, or form to downplay a problem because problems are real. I understand that. But God is bigger than our problems. God is bigger than our circumstances. God is bigger than what we can see. We need faith, faith that will move a mountain is what we need in our life. If we put that into practice, if we can do that, if we can let God be God and me be me and you be you, his promise is that he will give you a peace that passes all your understanding. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today's message. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we have that assurance, that confident assurance of faith. Lord, if I can see it, I don't need faith to gain it. So therefore, it is bigger than me. It's bigger than what I can see. God, we really need you, Jesus. We really need you because I know that in some situations, the problems are unsurmountable. So big, so big that we can't even begin to understand what the answer could be, how you could even begin to answer. We don't even grasp that. God, I pray, though, that our faith is in you. I pray, God, that we can see you in the midst of it all and that we can be so overwhelmed by your goodness and your size and your omniscience and your omnipotence. God, that we can just be overwhelmed by your joy. I pray that we would just see this and that we would just rest in you today, no matter our circumstances. And I give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, if you will. And uh, let's sing the song that Jackie's playing as we prepare to go home today.
Amen. Let's sing the song again. And when we do, let's really do it. If you know the song by heart, just close your eyes. And just sing with your eyes on Jesus. Let him be bigger than your life today. Let him be bigger than your problems. And just recognize that when we we turn our eyes on him, that everything of this earth will grow dim. The good things and the bad things will grow dim in light of his glory and his grace. Jackie, lead us again. And let's really mean this from our hearts this morning. Yeah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray, God, for those singing that this morning. If we struggle with this, I pray that you would just come in, give us that peace that passes all understanding. God, as we turn our hearts towards you, God, that we would loosen our grip on this life. God, we would say what is 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 and let it be gone what it be gone. But just let us live a life that is fully pleasing to you, Lord, and that we would just be so focused on who you are in our life. That we would let the issues of life not overtake us. Not overwhelm us. Not let those circumstances dictate our joy, but just the opposite. God, that the more the circumstances will look dim, the more joy I have because I know that it's your grace and your glory that I seek. And so, I, God, I pray that you would just be with us as we go to our homes today and into the life ahead of us over this next week. God, I pray that you would just be so glorious, and I pray in all these things, abound in us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed today. Be blessed. Amen.